Welcome to the Education Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you will hear part two of my conversation with Natalie McKnight from Boston University. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on the Education's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of the Education Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. You are about to hear part two of our conversation with Natalie McKnight from Boston University. Please be sure to listen to our previous episode to hear part one of this conversation. But it's interesting what you were saying about how when we were in college, people weren't thinking this way. And I think you're right. I mean, I, I'm not going to date you, but I'll date myself. I probably already have by saying I've been 31 years at BU. But I was in a college in, in I was in college in the 80s, and it was very me oriented generation, right? It really was about me, 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 a me first, making money. And then the 90s were kind of like that too. Uh, and the stock market was taken off and things like that. And it was only like around 2000, we had a the dot-com burst. And then we had 9-11. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. so many uh, aftershocks from that, um, emotional, social, political, and, and economic, of course. And I, I think that, you know, all the students we're teaching now, they were born after 9-11 or, you know, 2000 to, yeah. you know, 2001, something like that. That I think that's part yeah. of the difference. They were, and then global climate change has become, it's been talked about for decades, but it's really, really been talked about more in the last 10, 15 years. So they're growing up with all of that. They have a much yeah. more urgent sense of world crises um, yeah. than I think maybe well, from a, I from did. A the timing. Answer. From a timing standpoint for, you know, for global warming, I, I, I had thought a little bit about, you know, sort of the generation of folks that when, when it first got suggested, they technically really had time. <laughs> they really yeah. felt like, hey, yeah. I'd be lucky if I lived until when it really can impact, impact us, you know. And um, I think that current generations really don't feel that way. You know, if you are 15-year-old right now, um, you are kind of it. You are the ones who has to deal right. with this, um, right? And so, right, the buck you, stops you, there. Yeah, that you know, you you really have to, you know, it becomes pretty real suddenly. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't even. Th- I mean, I've always believed in global climate change. I I grew up in uh, Western Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh, so I saw terrible environmental mm-hmm. stuff at the end of the '60s, early '70s, and then they cleaned it up. But I I think this has been kind of front burner for me my whole life. Uh, So I was a very open audience to that. But in spite of that, I don't think I ever thought I would live to see as many demonstrable, Mm -hmm. really dramatic effects of climate change already. I mean, just look, look in the last few months, this is, we're having very strange weather uh, and have been for, you know, the, the high, you know, the highest highs, the lowest lows, the most rain, you know, mm-hmm. California's the worst fires. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's just one, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I want? Excessive <laughs> adjective after another to describe what we're seeing. I don't think I, I thought maybe 20 by 2050 people would be seeing that, but nope, right. it's here. Yep. Yeah, we, we all get impacted by it already. And um, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely one of the contemporary issues that we have no time but, you know, to wait and we have to deal with. So speaking of that, 
What are some of the other, um, you know, current issues, contemporary issues that you see as a dean in higher education? Um, I want to talk about that because, you know, I think there's no there's no secret that you and I are both fans of higher education and what it enables for students. But I also, you know, talk to people um, sometimes that are not in the field of higher education or in education, right? And when they talk about their own children, this is usually the part where, you know, education comes to become, I mean, it matters to them, but they also are in the camp of, hold on a second, I've heard that college is not even necessary anymore. A, there is these boot camps you can do. B, is really expensive. Is it worth it? You know, what about student loans? Should they just, you know, come on student loan right off the bat? Like, how, 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 do, you th- how do you feel about all of this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, excellent question. Um, I'm just, I'm just writing some notes because so I, I got like four ideas that came to me at once. Let's start with the, the last mm-hmm. point, um, the, the expense of college. That is one of the, <laughs> what's one of the crises I'm really concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I do think higher ed should be um, uh, accessible to everyone financially accessible to everyone. And, and I've been very glad that BU had a very successful capital campaign, which ended right before the pandemic. And now we are able to meet full financial need for any student who gets in. That's amazing. But of course, there's still a gap. There's a, you know, it, using our um, calculus for determining financial aid, we meet that there's still, uh, there's still gaps, people still need, you know, financial help. And I'm trying to fill in some of those gaps myself. So, so, but I think we need to do more of that. Um, while at the same, same time, recognizing college isn't for everyone. I mean, I do think that it, it's, it's a wonderful experience for most people. And I think it should be accessible to all people. But there are some people who are, um, would, be happier uh, and would uh, be more um, suited to going to uh, to you know a place that's maybe not a four-year degree program or more, more technological training right because that's just what they love and that's what they're good at and and the mm-hmm. higher ed thing is just not going to you know the liberal arts education is not going to speak to them so I think we need to have a better value system in terms of recognizing that too is a real mm-hmm. thing and a real, and we need mm-hmm. people in those areas. And there are definitely people who are going to be happier going into that, but we should make the other model available to everybody. So that's going to be, that that's going to be a financial model that uh, is going to take fundraising. Yeah. It's going to take more government support. Again, everyone says, why did tuition go up so much? You could do, you can diagram it. It's the simplest diagram in the world. Here is state funding for education over the last 20 years. And here's mm-hmm. the cost of tuition. Mm-hmm. Direct inverse proportion. Right. It Tuition has gone up, not because they're paying people like me, you know, bazillions. Um, my salary is fine. I'm no, no complaints. But it's gone, it's gone up in direct inverse proportion to the, to the diminishment of, of government support. And that comes from this, this demonization of taxes. I mean, ta- taxes aren't, you know, you, societies function on taxes. You, ta- you don't have taxes, you don't have a society, right? Um, so I, that's, that's an issue that needs to be deal, dealt with. I also think um, something I think about all the time, I was actually just uh, in a virtual conference this morning giving a paper about this. 
as the mental health issues, which were already really increasing prior to the pandemic. So increases in anxiety, depression, um, addictive behaviors, suicide, et cetera. And, uh, And I don't think we have allocated enough resources, people, time to dealing with those mm-hmm. issues and and those two came to a head in a pandemic and one of the things this will sound esoteric but one of the things i was talking about today because it was a dickens conference i was at was how dickens always saw the the um fluid interconnections between the mind and the body you know and you see it in, in again and again in descriptions you've got a physical ailment it creates mental problems you've got mental problems it creates physical ailments it's not like in the west we tend to split off mind body all the time and we allocate resources to dealing with the physical problems mm-hmm. and we don't to dealing not you know not enough to dealing mm-hmm. with the, the mental issues and then we also uh we create shame around having mental health. like if i had appendicitis yeah. everyone would say oh poor natalie she's appendicitis if i um was massively depressed i think people would be sad for me too but but it might be more hush hush mm-hmm. i might not even tell people right i would tell people if i was yeah. in the hospital because i had to have my appendix out. would i tell them i was in the hospital because i had a uh, you know suicide ideation no probably not right so so i know this is probably going pretty far afield but ment- we, we got a mental health crisis in higher ed with our students, we got it nationally. We have. I think you're absolutely correct. Yeah, I think you're absolutely correct, and I actually think that there is something interesting about, um, you know, going back to remember I was saying, you know, there. Are, I mean, I I meet I've met some, I mean, a lot of parents who had said, why don't why don't you just like take uh, some of those free or like you know hundred dollar for the whole year you know course and learn how to be a programmer and. I don't know, go make money in, in Silicon Valley, yep. right? Um, and I think in some sense, some aspects of those skills, I mean, I, I actually do question some of the, the, the skills that they get anyway, because we keep looking for those people, you know, and or we keep having people apply for our, our positions yep. with, with those kinds of training. And um, it doesn't mean that they're all bad, but the ones that the applicants that have been strong um, from at least from what we can see, were not strong because of those programs. They were strong because they were good to begin with, right. or they had the, men- mm-hmm. the mental toughness to go in and find answers for themselves. Um, right. But the, you know, it wasn't good enough, but having yep. that said, the, the part that I actually miss the most is exactly what you were talking about. When you are, now, if you are traditionally college aged, um, and even non not traditional, you know, college age person um, going through college, there is a. I do think that there is a certain amount of. Uh, uh, it's it's sort of like your your brain doesn't really get fully developed when you're twenty six. You are you are kind of forming these things, you know, both opinions, but also how to handle crisis, etc. Many people do have the crisis come up during these times, um, yes. and 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 things happen. You know, people could yep. pass away in your family. People, could, you could lose, yep. you could lose loved ones. You could experience things that you just, you know, uh, or love. You know, you might yep. break up with someone, love. or you know, yep. and things like that. And um, this mental um, 
health part of the formula is incredibly important. And I think that um, on one hand, you, we are saying that we don't fund it nearly enough. On the other hand, if you go to just say some boot camp somewhere, that's not even that's not uh, even the that's not even nothing. a that's not even the checkbox they think about checking. No, you know, no, it's true. Um, and it's true. And 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 I, I have had the um, privilege to look at um, sort of operating budgets for you know colleges and universities. You know, you know, a few times, um, and um, most, at least in most cases that I've ever experienced, um, no one is making out like bandits. It's not like there was someone who's like. No. You know, you're no. charging all this money because of, and you're exactly correct. But is that the funding source have changed? Um, if this, that's it. Yep. And it, it with, with the possible exception money. of insurance yeah. companies, yeah. health insurance yeah. companies, it always they've cost, gone up a lot. It always costs yeah. money, and in fact, I would say it has yeah. cost more now because I, um, uh, I, I used to be a, a, a trustee at a, at a at a college, and and I remember hearing passionately by. Um, a presentation by uh, our, I think it was a director of health services or something. I forgot her title exactly. And she gave us this, this, this statistics that basically said um, five years ago, the percentage of students coming in report self-identifying as, as having mental health uh, problems that need help was 20%. And, and this is years ago. Like this is probably yep. eight years ago. Um, and, but today students, our student body coming in, are over 50% need, need help, um, yeah. easily over 50%. And yeah. it, it's because, you know, part of it is because, you know, students are, are more early, they get diagnosed earlier because they're more yeah. knowledgeable. They can, you know, when there's a problem, when they feel it, and when they, even when they're shameful, they look it up online and they go, oh, yeah, this is it's why true. this is where I belong, and and they they they're they're able to at least have the get the terminologies and and, and right. understand it, even when they're not willing to talk to people about it publicly. And yeah, and um and so, you know, I remember talking to this person, and she really just basically pleaded that, look, we, you know we literally need to double our staff in order to support them. There's no way around that. There is just no way around it. There's no shortcut. There is not an app that will take care of it for us. Uh, you, they need the help and that's what they need. And, and when you're in, in a college environment, you're, you know, at least at a college like BU, you know, you, typically the, the students are away from home. They're, they're, they're no longer under the, the guidance and supervision of their parents and, and all of the possible support structure that they're used to having you know the school becomes part of that for them oh huge yeah um in local parentis right we it's us and we don't we don't have enough staff and i know we've staffed up but it, it's not enough and of course you know counseling like teaching is uh, is it takes time <laughs> it takes a lot of one-on-one -on -one. Uh, you can't you can't counsel a room of a hundred people at the same time. You know, right. there's no efficiency model yeah. for for counseling. So uh, it is something we need to direct more attention to, and I think more research. And I I do see some good trends in counseling. Um, maybe 
moving a little bit away from pharmaceuticals and nothing. I mean, there are pharmaceuticals that are just tremendously helpful, mm-hmm. you know, for depression, anxiety, et cetera, sure. and mm-hmm. uh, ADHD. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not poo-pooing that at all, but I also don't think that that is the only answer. And I'm, I'm kind of excited by cognitive behavior therapy and more, more mm-hmm. and more people adopting yes. that and training people in the idea of um, trying to change the way you think and see things. Yes. And this ties back to general education because, you know, in our, we, we require a philosophy course in the sophomore year. It's ethical mm-hmm. philosophy. Yeah. We talk about things like stoicism and then, which is the roots of cognitive behavior therapy. And I think just talking about it and then talking about different theorists and philosophers and how they could be applied to current problems. It's, it's the beginning of a toolkit that somebody could carry around with them, mm-hmm. you know, so that when they're in a crisis, right. they can say, what, what could I draw from this? Could I draw from this? What, what helps me most in yeah. this moment? And then education in many ways is, is building up your internal toolkits for, well, you know, well, how do I manage this situation? How do I hand this? And, and to mm-hmm. your point about the hundred dollar training course, yeah, uh, you know, unless you come out of a course like that uh, as somebody who's already great at communication skills and collaboration skills, you know, um, and and just very well balanced person, you're not going to bring a whole lot to a a, a job, right? Um, but but you know, again, it's it's missing those those training things are missing kind of the the larger way in which an education ends up being not just a preparation for a job, although it's that too, but a preparation for life, for um, yeah. building up those capacities of like discipline and and thought and um, and and resources. I mean, I the, the, when I think about the great. Uh, uh, resource literature has been to me and what, what a refuge it's been to me in crises, including the pandemic. I was not one of those people who was um, watching a lot of TV in a pandemic, but I read and I went back to some of my favorite books and I just went into them and it was this space, you know, this safe space, this rich space, not a problem-free space. Novels aren't aren't based on <laughs> problem-free situations, right? But they were somebody else's problems and completely engrossing. And I, and you know, that's all part of an education, right? It's it's having those strategies for dealing with situations. It's having those collaboration skills. It's having those um, those cultural resources that you can turn to to kind of self heal. Music and art and literature and uh, been. I mean, I could go on all day to you know. I I. I think yeah. I owe my life to several books and some Bach concertos and and maybe Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I know that you are, if I remember correctly, you had told me one time, I think we might have been having lunch somewhere, that you told me that you are a musician. You play I piano? am. I have piano and guitar. Yep. Um uh-huh. And I love it. And I did, you know, some of that in COVID too, not as much as I would have liked, but that too is a wonderful resource. If I can sit down with the piano mm-hmm. or the guitar and just play, you know, with piano, it's usually classical music, but not always, sometimes just some of my favorite, maybe Tom Waits or Lou Reed songs or something. And ditto guitar. Um, my husband and I, he plays banjo. He also plays guitar. We do, we probably do hundreds of songs together it's again it's such a it's such a great feeling it's a great way to communicate with somebody 
it's a great release and you just uh Talk you come about away mental from health. it <laughs> mental health you come you go into it with, with whatever baggage you're bringing and you play that music and you sing and you've created these sounds and the songs are taking you out of yourself and when you come back to yourself you're you're, you're better than you were <laughs> when you left that's beautiful so it's good do you play jeff I think do you, that do you, are you a musician are you a musician uh, i i wish i wish uh i i keep <laughs> you know picking up things that um you know, I, I try for a little while, but I always kind of run out of time. And then, you know, as soon as I am not able to uh, sort of keep it as a practice, it's hard. But I, hard. I do I do appreciate the arts, you know, in that way. Yep. And and um, and I think that that's a um, that's also one of those very long term beneficial thing for for, you know, for humans, really, you know, the yes. ability to yep. use the arts as a way to to heal to to sort of look in you know to use it as a, as a lens to look at the world to use it as a lens yes. to look at yourself and examine what's happening in the world and what's mm-hmm. happening with you you know processing your feelings and you know all that i think it's it's a really um important part that uh sometimes in a in in very sort of skill focused discipline where yes. it's almost like well, what is that going to do, right? What's that? Oh, no, I hear it from students, but, yeah. uh, you know, I, I completely agree with everything you're saying. I mean, I think it's, you know, through the arts, there's a lot of things I would say, but, but you know, it, it, the arts do help teach you empathy. And I think empathy may be the only thing that can save the human race. We have to be able to feel for people yeah. besides ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and when you read or you watch a film and you are moved by somebody else, that's not you. Yeah, that's not you just feeling, you know, selfish feelings. That That is you feeling for another human being. And you are kind of building your empathy muscle. Or if you're looking at a painting and and you're moved by it and you're intrigued by it, you're, again, that's not a selfish thing. It's unless you're like a bazillionaire and you want to actually buy, you know, you're going to buy that Picasso. Or <laughs> right. You're going to buy that Monet. But most of us are not in that position. You're looking at a painting, you're appreciating it in a non-selfish way. Iris Murdoch writes a lot about this. She's brilliant. That art, that art is actually a wonderful ethical exercise because in appreciating it, you were doing something completely unselfish and uh, appreciating something outside of yourself. And we all need to do that, that emotional gesture of appreciating things beyond ourselves because if we're going to go out in the world and be successful human beings, we, we, we need to be able to do that habitually is, is to be able to, to, to look at another person and see that as a human being, as viable, as important as you yourself are. Right. Uh, and I, we don't naturally get there. We're, we're animals, right? Um, that rabbit mm-hmm. in my backyard eating my lettuces right now, it's, it's not contemplating me as a human being. <laughs> It's a very cute <laughs> rabbit, but it's, it's just wanting that lettuce in my backyard, and that's fine. I let it. I let the rabbit eat my lettuce. But I mean, you see what I mean? Is human beings need to be able to think more mm-hmm. than just about their their own welfare, or we're uh, right. we're sunk. <laughs> well, so th- this leads to my let's let's say, go to our final my final question, maybe final topic here. Okay, um, which which I feel like. I want to ask you because I'm sure you see this a lot at BU and in in in, in college in general these days um, on identity, on inclusivity, on equity. Um, I mean, we are talking everything from 
you know, um, gender, sexuality, to race, mm-hmm. you know, ethnicity, um, uh, ability, like what you were saying before, is it accessible mm-hmm. to people? And what, how do we do mm-hmm. that? And I think mm-hmm. you talked already a bit about, you know, the ability to make it accessible by providing the funds, you know, to do it, the mm-hmm. scholarships mm-hmm. and whatnot. Uh, but mm-hmm. for people who are in college today, you know, for young people going in college today, um, what is, can you show, you know, share some of what you see, you know, like what, what do students do and how do they identify themselves? How do they express themselves? Because I, I also think that there are uh, people who might be listening also have a sort of have this idea about what college looks like, you know, frat houses and 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 sports and you know um, those things don't not exist but there's also a whole other you know sort of like you know side of college that doesn't look like you know um the last will ferrell movie you know exactly um so no that's yep no, it's such a great point. such a great question. And yeah, and then of course, you know, BU has sports and it's got frat houses, but not on campus. They have to be off campus. But I would say that, you know, let's just take take a look at the athletes for a second. You know, I, I really sometimes hate the way athletes, college athletes get depicted or even high school athletes in, in films because it, it's, it's like a monolith that they're all like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of mean and bullying and then it's you know our our athletes at BU I mean there there's they've done wonderful work this year um as part of the Patriot League so I was on the Patriot League anti-racist commission this year and it's like all the schools and there's like 10 or 11 schools in the Patriot League and it's all you know all the athletic departments getting together and just trying to like you know running a whole lecture series discussions um you know Black Lives Matter days where you know they'd wear warm-up shirts in their games and things like that 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 you know, talk about diversity and things. I, I see the athletic culture as being diverse, even within itself, right? Um, and and very open to these issues of inclusivity in ways that, and, uh, um, you know, uh, inclusivity on all levels, as, as you named earlier. And then, but, but then, yes, you're right. That I'm just defending the athletes for a second because I just came off this Patriot Commission, but but that is a small sector mm-hmm. of of BU, and and there's mm-hmm. so much there's so much diversity, and one of the things I think is most uh, heartening to me, we've w- looking at the students now. We we've talked about so many global crises, and it could all be depressing, but maybe we end on this notice that the students are so much more evolved on these issues than many of the people who are teaching them and they have much to teach us and they're uh they are so sensitized by and large to inclusivity and wanting to be inclusive and being you know not just tolerant. Tolerant is we, we would just dismiss that word. That suggests you got to put up with something, but embracing mm-hmm. diversity in all ways. And and that has grown. That that characteristic, those qualities have grown so much of my over my thirty one years at BU. I remember back in the mm-hmm. early nineties teaching a rhetoric class, and uh, we were there was some pro con uh, gay marriage essay pairing that we were reading, and like half the class wow. was four gay marriage and half is against it. I mean, that is, that to me is like ancient wow. history. I can't believe how my students mm-hmm. polled on that issue. Whereas now, I think probably for the yeah. last 15 years, if I'd polled a class, everybody would say, well, what's the problem? Of course, 
gay, gay marriage is fine. Right. I don't even understand why that's an issue. They couldn't even understand how it could be. So that's that. That's one issue uh, that that has really mm-hmm. really grown. And um, so I, I I take real uh, um, I, I I derive a lot of hope. Uh, looking at these students and their wisdom on these issues. And again, their embracing of inclusivity, not because it's trendy, but because it's right. Yeah. And I think that they've seen it, right? They, yeah. they, because they, there are many more people that they know. Um, and I just had this, I had this amazing conversation with a young person um, yesterday who said, um, we are actually not the minority. We just got minoritized. Um, yeah, right. And, uh, but, but, but they are seeing, because people are more willing to express themselves and speak up, they, they know people who are their friends, their families, themselves, yes. siblings, yes. you know, who um, it's, it's no longer something that you just kind of go, well, that's not me. Like, like there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not me, Right. Right, it's, right. It's, it's nothing like that. That's the tolerant part of it. You know, this is right, exactly. you embrace that. You, you know, right. you, you love it. Um, right. And, 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 and right. And, and maybe, well, I guess embrace is an active verb, but to the point there that students, like if they land in BU and it's, it's diverse and they embrace that, that's, that's kind of in some ways a bit passive. They seek it out. Yeah. They will push they push BU, they push institutions. Like, we are not diverse enough. We want more diverse students. We want more diverse faculty. We want more diverse staff. And and as, as they should. Um, you know, the uh, a university is supposed to be a microcosm of the universe. And uh, and that, it really ought to be a microcosm of the universe. And BU's, I think, done done well along those lines i think we have we have a way to go but the but the students are in many ways leading the way and uh that's encouraging well on that note natalie thank you so much for sharing your wisdom but i think that you i think we we all agree that um it is the student like you said that bring the sort of bring the game to all of us right and yep. Yep. and that's what's amazing like and, and it really goes back to, I think, even some of the earlier thing that you said, um, you don't, you let them do the undergraduate research work as a freshman, as a first year student, mm-hmm. because you don't underestimate mm-hmm. them. You don't think that you, you're not good enough because you must learn these, you know, some random, you know, sort of qualifier mm-hmm. of you must have these basic skills before you can do this. No, we, we think of mm-hmm. them as, um, you know, um, already you know, as they walk through the door, um, and even much younger, actually, you know, um, positive contributors, you know, to the world. And and I think that's a really uh, fabulous way to think about higher education as we move forward. Absolutely. Jeff, this has been a lot of fun. This is a great conversation. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Natalie. And I uh, hope to see you soon. Okay. And uh, take care. See you care. soon. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Drew Albanicius. Thanks for listening.